All right, welcome to Saltier Politics. Julie, how was your weekend? My weekend was good. I went to Vermont. Um, my little cousin got married, which was really surreal because I went to his parents' wedding um, when I was in high school. And then I remember when he was born, and now here's this little kid um, who's not so little anymore getting married. And it was a really cool wedding. They, were, uh, they did it in some very remote part of Vermont, north of Burlington. It was a really great wedding. So congratulations, Matt and Molly. Um, I'm super happy for them. They're both great, and I'm really happy Molly's a member of our family. So that was my weekend. It was pretty cold up there, by the way. I know. I feel that the weather, it's starting to get a lot colder and it doesn't make me happy at all because anything under 70, I'm freezing. Yeah. And you're from Florida, so that makes sense. And I'm the same way. I'm from Russia and anything under 70 um, makes me freezing, which is really bizarre. I I hate the cold, but Vermont was really pretty. The leaves were starting to turn. And um, as I was going to Vermont, I got into this Twitter spat with my friend Jen, who said something about the fact that she always puts the window shade down when she's in the window seat on the plane. And I think people like that should basically be banned for life from traveling. So what do you think? Oh my gosh. It annoys the crap out of me, especially when I'm in the aisle and I like to see when we're taking off or going down or when there's turbulence, I like to look outside and see that. And confirm that you're still among the living. Correct. And confirm that we're not like, you know, you know, going down or up very fast. I, I agree. There are two types of people out there. The ones that want to put the shade down because they don't want quote unquote glare, which I don't know where they're flying, but they think they're going to be like, Icarus near the sun. Um, and then there are people like me who actually like to look outside and see the beauty of Lake Champlain in Vermont as you're flying over it, or if you're flying west, especially, you fly over um, the Rockies or you fly over the Grand Canyon, which I've done a few times. It's really pretty. So I don't get these people who, by the way, when you put the window shade down, you're basically in like a closed coffin. You're it's, flying in like a box. It's horrible. Unless you're at a night flight. Okay, fine. But even, again, during takeoff and landing, I want to look out the window. I actually and, like it not during takeoff and landing. I like it when it's a really clear day and you could just look out and it's really pretty and you could see what you're flying above. And then you forget that you're stuck in a plane for multiple Yeah, hours. so people who, you know, people make a big deal about people putting their, window, their, their seats back on a plane. I don't really care if people do that. I really hate it when they put the window shade down, though. Speaking of planes, what did you think of the new thing by this uh, Tokyo Airlines that um, they're going to have special seating for babies? I'm so for it. So first of all, they need to remember that smoking and non-smoking sections. They need to have baby and non-baby sections. And I'm dead serious about this for two reasons. One is if you're traveling without a baby, the last thing you want to hear is what I heard on my flight to Paris um, this summer, which is no joke the entire time from takeoff to landing to customs to luggage control to luggage claim nonstop nope however if you are said mother with said baby which i have been it's also kind of terrifying and mortifying because you really can't do much to stop the baby from crying um you can walk it up and down the aisle a little bit i guess but um i really think they need to have kid and non-kid sections so that all the babies can cry together in one section and all the people who don't want to hear that can not be there. Um, when I first flew with my son, I remember, I forgot where we were going. I think we were going, actually, I think we were going to France. And he sat in front, he sat behind some women. He was maybe like two, two and a half. And all he did was kick her seat the entire time. Just kicked it, kicked it, kicked it, kicked it, kicked it. And no matter how much I told him to cut it out, he just wouldn't stop. And he put the tray down and put it back up and take it down and put it back up. And by hour four, you're ready to jump out of the plane without him. <laughs> um, or, but, uh, but you know, the woman in front of me 
was understandably incredibly annoyed and she shouldn't be subjected to that. And yes, I guess a better mother would have somehow curbed him from doing that, but good luck to anybody who thinks you could do that to your kid. When I suggest home. padded overhead compartments, but not many people agree. Yeah, that. exactly. So I'm all for it. <laughs> Literally segregate them, put them in a different category, in a different part of the plane, the way you used to with smoking and non-smoking sections. And if you are mis- unfortunate enough to be sitting in the last row of the non-kid section, that really stinks the way it used to stink if you were in the non-smoking section, one row in front of the smoking section. But for the rest of the people on the plane, I'm sure it's lovely. I believe that should extend through the age of 14 because going to all the flights home to Florida, there are always so many kids. And the inquisitive nine-year-old is also one that I hate. What are you doing? How's What are you eating? Oh, what, really? Where, where are you going? I, I think the more annoying part of going to Florida is the ridiculous spring break kid who's already drunk by the time he gets on the plane so actually pretty much if you're under the age of 35 i don't want to see you on my flight (laughs) that's it all right that's that's been solved let's move on all right well okay so so another thing that people have been talking about is why is everybody getting pretty mad about this new joker movie people are saying that it will incite violence what what is your that this joker movie um portrays violence so Essentially, the character of the Joker, he's rejected um, by society and he's rejected by women. So they think it's going to increase the incel movement or incel activity. All right. Let me um, say this right now before this. Is this movie out yet? No, it's okay. not out till October 7th. Okay. So let me just say this now before this movie is out a week from, I guess, Wednesday, right? Um, when and if there is a shooting related to the Joker movie, please don't blame it on Hollywood and the media. Um, it'll be because some person got their hand on a gun that they should not have gotten their hands on and um, went on a shooting spree. And so I already can see that if this happens, people are going to start to say, well, you know, it's media and it's Hollywood and it's mental illness. Okay, no, um, they're showing the Joker movie in other countries as well. They showed the Batman Returns movie that, remember the, the horrible, tragic shooting in Colorado in the movie theater um, with that movie and everybody said, oh my God, it's because it's so violent. Yeah, they showed that movie in Europe and Asia as well and it didn't lead to anybody shooting up a movie theater. There's one constant common denominator here and we know what it is. And it's the fact that we are um, constantly putting guns in the hands of the wrong people. But I will also say this to the incels who might be listening. (laughs) What is this incel movement? What are we talking about here? It's pretty much that they feel entitled to... To have sex with women? Yes. And they feel that like the rejection is like due to current society and feminism and... Yeah. Okay. So um, I know plenty of single men who are in wonderful relationships with women. Uh, (laughs) Some of those women are even feminists and they are still in relationships with, with these men. Um, the reason that you might not be in a relationship with a, with a woman, um, incel guy is one of two reasons. One is you have not yet met the right woman. Um, and you don't always have to be in a relationship, nor are you entitled to constantly having, um, some sort of sexual connection with a woman. But secondly, it might be because you're sitting around stewing about the Joker movie and about other lame things and playing video games and wondering why you can't find a young woman to date. So nobody's entitled to a relationship. What I mean, nobody's entitled to have sex. Nobody's entitled to any of that. It happens when it happens. And if it doesn't happen, there may be outside forces or maybe just maybe take a look within and wonder why you are not able to sustain or have a relationship. I mean, that also is a potential 
Yeah, usually the cause. people blaming everything else but themselves are the ones who fail to look inward. True. And I mean, look, it's not to say that I don't feel for some of these guys when they, when they can't meet women. Um, on the other hand, try coming to New York as a young woman because every young woman I know who comes to New York complains that there aren't enough men out there for her to date. So um, I just, if, if, if a movie like The Joker, which I believe is based on a comic book, is leading you to suddenly say, oh, okay, I'm going to go out and get violent because the Joker went out and got violent because he too couldn't get a girlfriend. Like, you're talking about a fictional character. You're talking about a guy who literally puts clown makeup on his face. Um, And if you're emulating that guy, then, yeah, I would say that neither I nor any woman I know wants to date you. I mean, maybe there's some people out there, women out there, I'm not judging, who want to date guys who dress up like the Joker or take direction from the Joker, but I don't, I don't know any, I do you, Emily, have you met any, have you met anyone, you're, you're, no. you are younger than I am, and you are more among the dating community than <laughs> I am, so have you met women in your, in their 20s who are like, I know, right. I want to date some guy who sits around reading comics all day long, and trying to emulate the Joker, like, I remember when I was in my 20s, <laughs> God, this is an absolutely horrible story, I remember when I was in my 20s, um, and I was at this event, randomly at the Waldorf Astoria, which is a very nice hotel here in New York, for the Democratic National Convention Committee. And Bill Clinton was there. And um, so I was at this event, and I met this guy who worked for, I don't know, somewhere in, in politics. And he and I kind of hit it off, and we were both single, and he said, let's go on a date. I said, great. So he said, why don't you meet me um, at my house, and then we'll go out. And I said, sure. Um, so I meet him, or I try to meet him. I think this is, pre, this is not pre-cell phone, but this is when like, cell phones weren't as reliable. So I'm outside his house. I'm buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. No answer. I call. No answer. Finally, 20 minutes later, as I'm about to go home, I try one last time. The guy picks up the phone, and he's like, oh, yeah, sorry. My roommate and I are playing video games. Oh, God. And so I didn't hear the doorbell, but come on up. And I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I mean... Maybe that guy's happily married right now. It was about 20 years ago, so hopefully he is. Maybe he's changed his ways. But, like, you may not be successful with women if you're sitting around playing video games slash reading comic books about the Joker slash spending all your time on online chats discussing comic books slash the Joker slash video games. Um, Like, that's on him because when you go out on a date, you like to feel special and important. And him saying, I was busy playing video games... Like, on the moment of your arrival to this date. Of course. Is, but is, this is when you're in your 20s and you date all the wrong guys right. and they're all dopes. But um, not all of them, I shouldn't but say it's, that. But it's nice because it shows you right away, it's like, this guy is not an option. Correct. But that guy, I'm not suggesting this guy was an incel, but if you're a guy who's having a hard time meeting the ladies, um, look, um, look inward. Right. And wonder whether spending time reading comic books or playing video games with your roommate um, is a reason that you are not that successful. And if, in fact, you feel completely beleaguered and you think you're the best guy in the world, and I, I know plenty of guys like this who are like, I do everything right, I'm the nicest guy, and the women always go for the bad guys, um, which a lot of younger women, I think, do. So I don't necessarily put it on the guys. But if you are that guy, I mean, great, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to find the right woman. The point is just don't take a gun and go to a movie right. theater. Just because the Joker's doing it doesn't mean you should. Right. And just to add, to add, Joaquin Phoenix told IGN, I don't think it's filmmakers' responsibility to teach morality. And if you don't know the difference between right and wrong, then there's all sorts of things that are that you are going to interpret in a way that you want. So Yeah, I mean, uh, sorry, but should Steven Spielberg be responsible for the rise of neo-Nazism because he made Schindler's List? Like, right. no, you don't. 
You don't get influenced. Movies are escapism. If you take this stuff literally, you've got big psychological problems. You really do. I mean, little kids, I can see get, getting scared of movies or taking movies literally. But if you're an adult or a teenage boy and you're taking your direction from the Joker, the Joker. It's a whole other. I mean. A whole God, slate of other issues. It's like, a comic book character. He does not exist. Yeah. So, so, yes, it's, it's very sad what's going on in this country. But again. The day that there's a shooting, and of course there will be a shooting because that's the kind of country we live in, and somebody says, oh, it's because of Hollywood, it's because of Joaquin Phoenix, it's because of the Joker, just stow it, I don't want to hear it. Agreed. Um, so also this weekend I saw member Mark Schwartz, um, he was talking about this uh, New York Times article, Barack Obama's mi- biggest mistake, it rhymes with neoliberalism. it was an economic disaster and a political dead end. I wanted to see your opinion on this, Julie, do you think neoliberalism was Barack Obama's biggest mistake. I don't think it was his biggest mistake, um, but I think it was a mistake. And I think with Barack Obama, or maybe the advisors around him, and again, Tim Geithner, Larry Summers, I mean, all these people who were from Wall Street, would they perhaps underestimated, and I've, I've worked with a lot of Wall Street guys in my life, in my career, and I would say they do live in a bubble of some sort where they truly believe that they are the chosen, um, they are the elite, and they are smart, because if you were as smart as they were, you'd be making billions of dollars too, and, uh, you know, so I think they were probably somewhat immune, if not exposed, maybe not immune, but not exposed, to the real anger in this country about the fact that nobody went to prison, not one person went to prison for a economic collapse that led to the destruction of so many people's lives. Uh, so many people have yet to recover from that. And nobody was really held accountable. And it's true that income inequality grew under Obama. Now, the Obama people would say, well, we didn't have 60 votes most of the time to get anything done. We couldn't have gotten a bigger stimulus through. Everything had to be paid for. I'm not unsympathetic to that. But when you think you, it's more Congress's fault than like blaming Obama? No, I, guess, I think really? it's, I, look, Obama's job was to lead. And if you're proposing a $100 million stimulus package as opposed to more than $1 trillion stimulus package because the Republicans are screaming about how everything needs to be paid for. Ha, ha, ha. Remember those quaint days? Yeah. Um, oh, yes. Remember oh, that? Yes. When the Republicans wanted everything paid for because the, uh. the budget was exploding? Um, oh, gosh. Those halcyon days of fiscal responsibility from Paul Ryan and the Republicans. That was so cute. Bye-bye. John, John Boehner. God, that was cute. Um, but uh, when that was going on, they were not. Um, they were not leading. I think on that issue as much as they should have. I remember Paul Krugman in the New York Times was screaming weekly about how the stimulus was not big enough. It was going to lead to a ten-year recession. And it didn't lead to a 10-year recession technically, but it did take about a decade for things to really pick up. And that's what's going on. That's what, that to this day, I think that that was a big mistake on Obama's part um, to do that. Uh, healthcare reform was what they put all of their eggs in, in that basket on, and, and that's a laudable thing to do. But I wonder if instead of doing healthcare reform, and I don't know the answer to this, so I'm speculating, if uh, instead of doing healthcare reform, they had really structurally focused on income inequality, uh, whether that would have been something that would have had long-term effects as well. Uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, if you remember the Tea Party came of age in 2009, in large part because of the stimulus and because of health care reform, 
So there, Obama got in trouble for it anyway, right? I mean, we lost seats in 2010 right. as a result of, of this anyway. So if you're going to get blamed, you might as well just double it. I mean, go all out. It's not like right. anybody gave him any credit on the Republican side for having an $800 million stimulus and not a $1.6 million, trillion dollar stimulus. Um, so I think it was a lack of imagination coupled with a lack of appreciation for how the average person felt, which led to the rise of populism, which led to the rise of Donald Trump. But if you're seeing, so if you're one of the Democratic candidates and you're seeing this kind of criticism about Obama, what, what would your advice be? Well, I, I think, uh, and I'd love to see their internal focus groups on this, but I suspect Elizabeth Warren has it right from a tone perspective. Um, people are angry. They're pissed off. They are not uh, thrilled about where the country is, and they're not thrilled about it, not because they're Democrats or Republicans. People really, I mean, everybody, everybody's not everybody. I shouldn't say everybody. People at the top didn't, but the middle class and certainly the working class really got decimated tremendously. And they're still feeling it. I mean, I, I've said this before, but I saw a focus group maybe about five, six years ago of people who consider themselves middle-class voters. And you might ask what that is, and people have different ideas of what it is. These are people who I self-identified as middle-class voters. And it was the first time that I had seen, and I, I'd be curious to speak to this cohort again now or similar cohort now, but they said for the first time, that they could not imagine paying for college for their children, that, that college, which was the catapult into the middle class, was something that was out of reach for them, for their kids. It was not out of reach for them. They had gone to college, but when they went to college, college cost a couple thousand bucks a year. They could work summers and pay for it, or they could be babysitters, or they could do whatever they could right. to pay for college. You can't do that now. You can't work a summer job. No. Um, unless your summer job is, you know, holding up, Fort Knox. Right. Um, and that's true. I mean, when I look at what I suspect college is going to be by the time a private four-year college is going to be by the time my kid goes to college, I'm $100,000 a year. That's what I'm planning on. No, like, that's insane. Brown was around 50 grand a some, uh, half a year, so 100 grand. So like, 100 grand a year. It's stupid. It's who, who can afford that? No, you're going to be paying back loans for a very long time. But really, who can afford that? And only so, the very, very... Only the very, very, very rich. And what we're doing is we're saddling these people who are graduating from college with a huge albatross, which is that instead of saving up to buy a house or saving up to start a family um, or just saving, period, they're spending a good chunk of their disposable income on the one thing that is not discharged even in a bankruptcy, and that is student debt. And you are putting a massive, massive albatross around these people's necks. When I graduated college and graduate school, I, I got almost a free ride to college, but I had some loans. I, I paid them off, and it wasn't a big deal. You know, like, like and this was 20, over 20 years ago. Um, but now, how are people going to do that? It's just um, insane. It is crazy, crazy, crazy that you have to pay these debts back. These, these not debts, but how expensive college is. And I think, again, if you're Tim Geithner, I don't mean to single him out, but Larry Summers, but all these people who Obama surrounded himself in the beginning part of the administration, they just didn't get it. They got their bailout. And... But I, I think your point is right. It does fall to the leader because Obama and... Barack Obama and his wife both were saddled with major debt, student it, loan yeah, debt. It's, so. not, it's not just them. I mean, it's, it's, it's this lack of, okay, we're going to do what's possible. But I think they misunderstood. 
because I think Obama had somewhat of a charmed rapid rise that they misunderstood that they were not going to get credit. This notion of, oh, we're going to bring, you know, Republicans and Democrats together. If I hear any Democratic presidential candidate say that, like my frustration with Joe Biden, among several frustrations with Joe Biden lately, is that he truly believes that he, Joe Biden, will be able to go to, to, to the Hill as president, extend his hand to Mitch McConnell, and say, let's do something for the better and let's do something for the nation together. And Mitch McConnell will say, okay, Joe, that sounds great. You know, we've known each other for the last 50 years. We'll do it. It's never going to happen. Right. It's like how many, how many times you have to get punched in the face before you realize you're going to get punched in the face. If it would have happened, it would have happened when he was vice president. And he might say, well, it's because they hated Obama. They, they will hate anybody who's right. a Democrat. And so at least Elizabeth Warren, you may or may not agree with her policies. You may or may not think they're too liberal. But at least she has the right tone where she understands that you have to push through. You have to be radical in your approach. And, and Trump, I think, understood that as well. He did, didn't act it when he got into office. In fact, everything he's doing right now is to, to create more income inequality. But he spoke, he, he, he struck the right tone, I think, when he was a candidate, which is this tone of saying, you know what? We have been screwed by the elites on both sides of the aisle. And it's time to do something for the people. And while his policies have bear no resemblance whatsoever to his rhetoric, the rhetoric I think was right. I think Elizabeth Warren's rhetoric is right in that capacity. Um, I think somebody like Cory Booker, who I personally know and love and wrote the first check that I've written in probably a decade to a couple of weeks ago. But um, I think where he's struggling is his whole tone of like, you know, peace and love and love your enemy and, and hug your enemy, is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful sentiment. I just think people on the Democratic side of the aisle are saying, we've been burnt by this before. Right. So if you can't love your enemy if your enemy is intent on absolutely destroying you. Yeah, and your enemy has never come to the table before. Never, never, so. ever, ever. Um, and the Republicans listening to this now are saying, well, neither of the Democrats. Okay, right. Um, not quite. I mean, Obama came to the table with that stimulus package to try to get some Republican votes for it, and he got a few, but um, certainly not enough. Agreed. All right, Julie, do you know what you're salty about this week? Oh, you'd be shocked to hear I'm salty about Ukraine. Oh. Again, I, I will be salty about Ukraine forever. Um, my friends on the Republican side of the aisle. By the way, Julie's face right now just looks defeated. I'm, just, I'm rubbing my eyes right now because I'm so tired. Um, listen, if the tables were turned, just hypothetically think about this. If his name were not Donald Trump, if his name were Barack, I will give you this, Hussein Obama, um, and somebody came to you and said, hey, the president of Russia interfered in the election to get Barack Obama elected. And the president of Russia um, is denying that, but all of our intelligence agencies, including the national, uh, the head of the NSA um, for Donald Trump, uh, his first home, excuse me, his first Homeland Security Advisor, Tom Bossert, even members of Trump's own cabinet if, if they were to go to Barack Obama and say, uh, you know, Mr. President, the Russians are the ones that interfered in the election. And Barack Obama said, nope, I don't believe it. 
And then Barack Obama had these secret meetings with Vladimir Putin that he wouldn't disclose the contents of, and in fact went to the translator and confiscated the translator's notes so nobody would ever find out about them. And then suddenly he came up with this crazy conspiracy theory that just so happens to cast doubt and blame upon what is now Russia's number one foe, Ukraine, which Russia, as we know, has already annexed part of its land and is now in eastern Ukraine trying to annex the rest of Ukraine. Suddenly Barack Obama said, nope, I'm not going to agree with any intelligence figures on the American side. I'm going to agree with Vladimir Putin and say that Vladimir Putin's big enemy, Ukraine, has a server somewhere in Kiev, I guess. I don't know where this imaginary server is supposed to be. Um, I have no basis for this fact, but I think I heard that. I wonder where he must have heard that. I, he probably heard that from Donald Trump, from, from Vladimir Putin, because there's no way in hell he'd know it from anybody else or come up with that conspiracy. So if he sided with Vladimir Putin against his own intelligence agencies and against an ally to which Congress had already appropriated money, and then let's say secondly after that, Barack Obama were to say, you know what, the, Cong the money that Congress appropriated for, for Ukraine to defend itself against Russia, I'm going to suspend that money, coincidentally, until I have a conversation with the new president of Ukraine and tell him that I want him to look into this crazy conspiracy theory that Vladimir Putin put in Barack Obama's head about a server being in Ukraine, which the physical server is sitting at the DNC and always has been, but but I don't know what Obama's what what Trump is talking about. But let's just say Obama did that. Um, what do we think? the Republican reaction would be. And that's before we even get to the part where he basically has a quid pro quo, and unless you're Lindsey Graham, everybody understands it's a quid pro quo. Go investigate my opponent, meddle in the 2020 election by investigating my opponent. Please, Ukraine, I'm telling you, meddle in the 2020 election by investigating my opponent to help my campaign get an advantage over the man that I think is probably the strongest possible opponent I can have in 2020. What would people say about Barack Obama on the Republican side if he did that? They would be calling for his head. They would have impeached him 20 times over. And there are very well-meaning Republicans out there who actually are troubled by this. By this cult of Trump, who because it's Donald Trump and not Barack Obama saying this, they are absolutely defensive of him in ways that they have to jump embarrassingly through contortions and pretzels. I mean, Lindsey Graham, for God's sake, you can't impeach somebody in hearsay. Hey, Senator Graham, it's not hearsay. The White House released the tape. It's all out there in black and not the tape. They released a memo of the conversation. It's there in black and white. Um, so I don't know what hearsay Lindsey Graham is talking about. It's literally, they basically testified to this. They, they, they implicated themselves. Um, it's like me saying, hey, Emily, I buried a body in the backyard. Oh, we can't. I mean, Please, that, that's hearsay. No, it's not. I'm telling you, I buried like, a body in the backyard. That's right. We just, we just have to dig. Yeah, just, just it's just right <laughs> there. There's a big X marking where that body I buried in the backyard is. Oh, Julie, that's hearsay. It's no, hearsay. it's not hearsay. I did it. I swear to you. Here it is. Um, so uh, you know, just, just stop because this to me is so unpatriotic. This is literally asking for more interference in our elections. We have free. The reason our democracy is so vibrant is we have free and fair elections. And what Donald Trump is doing is asking another nation to make them less free and less fair. And you know who put this idea in his dumb head? It was Vladimir Putin. Because who else has an interest in putting that idea in his head besides Vladimir Putin? 
Who literally else? Literally no one. Literally, there's not one more no human one. being on earth who's <laughs> saying to him, hey, you know, I know everybody's telling you that we're the ones responsible, but it's not not us. It's our number one geopolitical foe, Ukraine. The guys we're trying to annex, the guys you're trying to send military aid to. So don't send military aid to them because they're the bad guys, not us. Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to ignore what the CIA and Homeland Security and the FBI and 17 intelligence agencies have told me. I'm going to believe you, Vladimir Putin. And everybody's going to say, well, how do you know Vladimir Putin put that idea in his head? Well, who else stands to benefit? Literally, who the hell else stands to benefit? And if you don't believe me, then get subpoena the translator, ask her in a deposition or under oath what was said in those meetings between Trump and Putin. And if there's nothing nebulous or nefarious about it, not nebulous, excuse me, nefarious about it, then you have nothing to worry about. But why would Trump not allow any witnesses to that meeting? And why would he take his translator's notes? It has never, ever, it's, it's never been done. Ever. I think next week what we need to do is a clapback segment on this. Because oh, yeah. Go ahead and tweet me, guys. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. You know what? We're, we will. We're we going to do a clapback on this. We're going to... Pas- <laughs> We're going to read some dumb tweets that I get on this um, issue, and I, we will clap back on them. Yeah, this that's so next week, everybody look very much forward to that because I'm already excited. Yes. Because Julie is salty. I'm salty about this. it is fantastic. We're definitely going to clap back. That's a great idea. Go ahead. Um, what's, what's up next? Uh, so I'm salty about, I was listening to Morning Edition on NPR and learned about a new study that viscerally made me go, give me a break. Eating a handful of almonds, walnuts, peanuts, or any type of nut on a regular basis may help prevent excessive weight gain and even lower the risk of obesity. Like when people tell me to eat a canful of almonds when I'm hungry, I want to slap them. Because you can't eat just a handful? Well, I just think I'm, I'm still hungry when I eat a handful of almonds. I'm like, yeah, just, it just annoys me because one, um, the study, it said nuts and peanuts I'm allergic to are not a nut. They're a legume. Right. Um, so that's wrong. And two, I just, the people who tell me to eat a handful of almonds to satiate my hunger, I just, I just want to slap away. That's just a visceral thing that you think it's because they're digested slower. So maybe they'll keep you fuller longer. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't, I just want a burger. I don't want any <laughs> of almonds. I think it's bullshit. But that's it. That's, that's, that, that's what's making you salty? It's just making me salty. It's like, don't tell me, when, when people always suggest, it's in all magazines, if you're hungry, just snack on a handful I'll of tell almonds. You, I'll tell like, you. Shut up. I'll give no. You some, I'll give you some advice. Don't read those dumb magazines. <laughs> They're so bad. They're so conflicting. Like... You get, you know, that's magazine, that same magazine next week will be like, um, there's nothing more lethal for you than almonds. You will get a disease and die if you eat a handful of almonds and never touch almonds again. Like, please. I know. Please. I had this friend back in high school and college and whenever she would buy Cosmopolitan, whenever I find a Cosmopolitan in her apartment, <laughs> I'd know she was hooking up with this guy that we definitely didn't want her hooking up with because he was bad news. Cause I was like, if you're reading Cosmopolitan. That means you're getting really bad advice about everything, which means that you're clearly making bad decisions, which means that you're hooking up with this guy, Adam. And she's like, how'd you know? How'd you know? I was like, the Cosmo gave it away. It's true. Every time I go on an airplane, which I was traveling the past couple of weeks, I just buy a lot of trashy magazines. And no, you can't do that. Yep. Nope. Not even in the nail salon. Not even when you're getting a pedicure. I know. That's why I'm salty. No, so. no, no. This is like, this is not a road to go down. I am a big proponent of never reading like women's health and Cosmo and first of all, nothing will make you feel worse about yourself than those magazines. Yeah. They'll be like, 27 ways to 
I don't know. Well, you're shaving your legs incorrectly. You're like, I didn't think I was, but now that you mentioned it. Right. And then you just start to get like in your head about everything, which is not. Yeah. Healthy. So I'm sorry to people who read that stuff. It's but okay. For your own mental health, don't do it. Which is why you never get salty about the almonds. See, I didn't know. It's true. Because I don't read. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> I don't read that, I should okay. say. <laughs> so, so next week, we'll look forward. I look forward to seeing you get salty to the Ukraine and. We're going to do a great segment. And, and I'm going to bring, I'm gonna bring some. Are you allergic to almonds too or just peanuts? Just peanuts. Oh, you're allergic to everything. Yeah, pretty much. Emily, that shellfish. Emily came over to my house for dinner one night. And, I was <laughs> like, Julie, what, Julie, and I'm like, what should I make? And Emily's like, meat with nothing on it. I know. Julie just asked, what are you allergic? Or do you have any allergies? And then I just laughed because that text was a novella. That was seven pages later. I was like, wow, I guess it's a steak and steak. Okay. <laughs> yep. All right. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Bye. Bye.